The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. Now, here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host, and I want to thank you for being with us today. I'm very glad that you've joined us. Thank you for being part of the Spirit of Recovery community. Thank you for liking Spirit of Recovery on Facebook and for your posts, and thank you for uh, letting your friends and the people in your recovery community, your unity community, your other uh, support networks your family and friends know about us here on unityonlineradio.org. It is great to be broadcasting on the topic of recovery and spirituality here on Unity Online Radio. And um, I'm glad to know that what's happening here is making a difference for you in your life, in your spiritual growth, in your recovery, and that what uh, is happening for you with the guests that I bring on here is really touching your heart, opening your mind, and I think is reaching even down into your soul and making a real difference for you. So thank you for letting me know that. I appreciate it. Every week we talk about topics that are important to the recovery community with guests who are down to earth, knowledgeable and innovative, people who are either in recovery themselves or who work with or write for recovering people, and always bringing you practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking. You can listen to Spirit of Recovery in a variety of ways. Obviously, you can listen live via your smart device, via your computer. You can also, of course, go to Stitcher.com and download their app, search for Spirit of Recovery. You can uh, listen via iTunes. If you have an Alexa-enabled device, you can ask Alexa to play Unity Online Radio. And you can also listen on demand at your leisure um, to the many years' worth of great archived programs we've got. You can go to Unity onlineradio.org slash program slash spirit of recovery and also those other uh, avenues there and you can find archives and you'll just be amazed there's really a lot of great programs that you can listen to um, on demand I want you to know that Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place so that if you're a person in recovery from any kind of an addiction, if you're the family member uh, or friend of somebody that's got the disease of addiction, uh, or you're just curious about what recovery is all about, you're welcome here. Whoever you are, I'm glad you're here. You're welcome to participate, to send in a question or a comment for my guest of the day, um, or just, just to listen. Uh, certainly, I want, always want to give a shout out to family members and friends. There is recovery for us. I am one of you. And uh, there are 12-step programs for family members and friends. There's therapy. There's inspiration. There's all kind of good stuff. So um, recovery is for everybody that's been affected by this family disease of addiction. I want you to know also that if you like what you hear on Unity Online Radio, on Spirit of Recovery, uh, and many any of the other great programs on this radio station, if you'd like to, you can make a financial donation to support it. It's a nonprofit. Um, you can make a one-time or an ongoing donation by texting 72727 from your smartphone. And uh, if you want to, you can support this nonprofit adventure that's called UnityOnlineRadio.org. 
Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a Unity Minister and an Addictions Counselor, and I'm also a person who has, in my own circle of love and friendship, many people that have the disease of addiction. 36 years ago, those relationships were a catalyst that got me on an active path of personal growth and spiritual development, and I am very grateful. Um, my walk's continues to be an integration of unity principles, recovery principles. It's all spirituality, and um, it keeps transforming my life and keeps me growing. So I am delighted to have the opportunity to share these uh, ideas with you and to hear what's happening for you in your spirituality and your recovery walk. Today, we've got a great program for you. I say that every week because it's true. Um, and um, our program today is going to be about students in recovery and how it is that college students can, uh, who are in recovery, who are working to uh, get into or stay into uh, their recovery process, can have a wonderful support network that's available to them on their campus. And uh, it moves them from thinking, oh my goodness, you know, I'm an outcast somehow of society, to really realizing the truth, which is that uh, everybody, uh, people in recovery are vital members of the college community. And um, my guest today is Sierra Castedo, who is the director of the Center for Students in Recovery at the University of Texas, Austin. And uh, she's going to be sharing with us how the center, CSR, provides a safe space and a supportive community for students in recovery or students that are seeking recovery from addiction. Uh, At the center here, what they do is is amazing and you're going to hear lots of great uh, information about it and how it works and also about uh, how this whole idea of uh, recovery centers in higher education uh, campuses, how that is spreading and what it does. But basically, uh, they combine academic mentoring, recovery groups, sober social events, place to hang out, volunteer projects, and professional development opportunities for students. And students in any stage of recovery and any point in their academic journeys are welcome. And uh, what happens there is uh, at the center, you find out that recovery really does work and that it can be a part of a genuine college experience because, as you might guess, it can be very challenging to be a sober student on a college campus where often, let's face it, the culture is a party-down culture. So, Sierra, um, welcome to Spirit of Recovery, and and let me say a few things about you before I uh, invite you to, to share here, but she, again, she's the director for the Center for Students in Recovery. Sierra herself has been involved in the collegiate recovery field since 2012. First, she was a student and and, uh, worked through her her early sobriety at this center. And um, now she's the director of that program that changed her life. She's the author of a book chapter on collegiate recovery that was published earlier this year. And the name of that book that she has a chapter in is called Emerging Adults and Substance Use Disorder Treatment. And um, she's going to be also presenting on recovery in the educational setting at the 2018 South by Southwest Educational Conference. And that's a big deal. South by Southwest is a big deal and um, really brings in top-notch speakers. So, Sierra, welcome to Spirit of Recovery. Thank you so much for having me on the show today. You're welcome. So um, tell us a little bit to, off the bat here about what, when you were a student and you were in your early uh, recovery process, what did the Center for Students in Recovery mean for you? So um, I'm going to back up just a little bit from that and talk about where I went to undergrad, where at the time there wasn't a collegiate recovery program, and Uh I didn't know, I didn't really know anybody in recovery. Uh, The one person I knew in recovery was in his 60s. Um, So I didn't have a picture of what it looked like to be a young person in recovery. Um, I just knew that by the time I was 20 that I was in serious trouble um, with my drinking, And um, I was doing really well in school. Um, I actually ended up going to graduate school at uh, UT Austin. Um, And that's where I found recovery. But only after, you know, suffering through another year, my first year of grad school, um, while still in my active addiction. Um, And I was really skeptical at first, to be totally honest. I, you know, heard about the Center for Students in Recovery 
I heard about peer support groups, and I just thought, you know, what is it going to be? It's going to be a bunch of people who don't want to be there, um, who got in trouble for smoking pot in the dorm or something like that, right? You know, I really had this picture um, of what this place was going to look like that thankfully ended up not being true at all. Um, when I finally did get around to showing up to one of the meetings at the center, um, I found people who were just like me. I also found people who, you know, had really different experiences from me, but but I found that I fit right in the middle of all of that. Um, and the thing that we shared is that we were all college students and that we were all on this campus and we found this place and we were supporting each other through that recovery in this, you know, generally pretty recovery hostile environment. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what, the first day that I walked through those doors and, you know, introduced myself to, to people, I just immediately started bursting out in tears. And, you know, they they knew exactly why, and I didn't have to explain myself. They just, you know, came around me and comforted me and made me feel right at home, made me feel like I belonged. And mm-hmm. I do. That's great. Well, let me ask you this. So you were saying in your undergrad program, were you trying to get in recovery at that point and and it was difficult? Is that what you had meant? So I actually, um, I knew I had a serious problem, but because I Mm -hmm. know that, you know, here's the thing. I thought that... um, addiction to alcohol. I thought that um, alcohol use disorders, that that was something that happened to old people, right? Mm -hmm. It was not something that was supposed to happen to somebody when they're 20. And so I thought that it must be really bad for me. And so Mm -hmm. that probably meant that there wasn't any hope. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't, um, you, you know, without that hope, even though I knew I had a problem, without any hope, I really wasn't prepared to make any kind of change uh, because I didn't think there was any change that was possible. When I came to UT as a grad student, um, you know, I, I kind of reached out to he- for help to um, the counseling center, and that's where I heard about the Center for Students in Recovery. And even though I was kind of a little too scared to make those first steps then. I waited another six months until after my first year there. Um, Even though that happened, I, you know, the seed was planted, right? I knew that there was other college students on this campus that were in recovery. I didn't, I still didn't think they'd be like me, you know, but I knew Mm -hmm. that that they existed. And so that Mm -hmm. started planting those little seeds of hope and those little seeds of, okay, well, maybe, Maybe, just maybe, I can give this a try. Maybe, just maybe, there's something out there for me. Right. Yeah. You know, when you're saying that, that it really brings that so much to the fore that uh, if you don't see somebody that somehow or, or hear even of somebody that you think is like you in some form or fashion, it just, it does, it just cuts off the hope. So, that to me reinforces why it matters so much uh, that this whole concept of uh, centers for recovery on college campuses exist mm-hmm. and why they make so much difference. I mean, I'm thinking about your story. I mean, it's never like, you know, well, you can't say this or that would have happened, but it sounds like it would have been a lot harder for you or you might have gotten a lot older before you really sought help if you didn't have, as you said, if you didn't see that possibility, if you couldn't, if you didn't see how you might relate to people um, that were like you. Yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. So th- I think they've been, the this concept has been spreading, and I know I've had just over the, the years here on Spirit of Recovery, I've had uh, some different people who were young adults and that were in recovery and talking about these things, but um I think it's an idea that's really growing. Tell us about it. How did it get started and how's it spreading across the country? Yeah, so collegiate recovery programs um, or CRPs, that's the acronym that's often used, they've Mm -hmm. actually been in existence since the late 70s, but the Mm. growth had been really, really, really slow over the years. Um, Our program started in 2004, and there was only a handful of other programs around at the time. Um, So that tells you something, right? It's been around Mm -hmm. since 77, but only a few programs in 2004. Um, I'm happy to say that in about the last five years, 
years, um, that that has changed. <laughs> that landscape has changed pretty dramatically. Um, when I first came to CSR in 2012, uh, there was about 20 or so other programs. Uh, today, there's about 170. And wow. I say about because, mm-hmm. you know, we we have a professional organization called the Association of Recovery and Higher Education, but because of that rapid growth, not everybody's you know registered in the loop, et cetera. And so, you know, we we just have kind of rough estimates at this point, um, but the. We're looking at about 170. So, yeah, a huge, huge increase just over the last five years. Mm-hmm. What uh, has caused that? It sound, that does sound like a big jump really in a short amount of time. How, why yeah, is it spreading now? There's a few different factors. Um, you know, one piece is that um, this foundation called Transforming Youth Recovery um, started offering seed grants to collegiate recovery programs to get them off the ground. Um, full disclosure, we've been a recipient, um, even though we weren't, uh, you know, in our early stage of development. Uh, the UT system schools, there's there's a CSR um, effort at play in place at all of the UT system schools right now. Um, mm-hmm. They were all recipients as well, um, and many other programs got started because of that transforming youth recovery funding. Um, another piece, though, that has helped to drive this is the opioid epidemic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is. It, it, alcohol is always the number one substance for college students, right? Um, mm-hmm. But unfortunately, opioid is is taking up some of that share, um, and opioids are really deadly. And yeah. you know the 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 fact is they you know don't discriminate by your age. Um, their deadliness does not discriminate by age, and so unfortunately, a lot of young people's lives have been lost. And so that's really spurred on and galvanized. That, you know, made, made really clear the need for these kind of programs on campus. Um, and then another reason is the overall momentum of the recovery movement, you know, which in part is, is also driven by the opioid epidemic too. Um, but the recovery movement as a whole, um, you know, you see entities like, um, you know, Young People in Recovery and Faces mm-hmm. and Voices of Recovery and the Association of Recovery in Higher Education and the Association of Recovery Schools. That's the, the Recovery High School organization. You see these big national organizations. Um, oh, and Facing Addiction is another big one, too, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, out there in the public national sphere. Um, and you also see, and this is really amazing and I think really remarkable, you also see presidential candidates had to talk about addiction in mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. during the last cycle. Um, right. So you see a lot of momentum from all sorts of arenas um, around this issue. And, and, and part of that's driven by, you know, recovery advocates, people in mm-hmm. recovery and their loved ones, um, you know, speaking out about it, being public about it, you know, being open about the fact that people do recover, um, but they need certain supports and, and we need to advocate for change to make sure more people get the chance to recover. Right. You know, um, what that brings to mind uh, to me, Sierra, is this idea of uh, the larger community and um, what uh, would make that more recovery affirmative. The There was a great article uh, that was part of the public radio uh, station here in Austin. Uh, I think it was written last year, and you were interviewed, some other people were interviewed, and uh talking in some really interesting ways about uh, what does make it challenging for young people, maybe anybody, to be in recovery, and then what some things are that could help. Uh, share some ideas with us about that. What's so? What makes it so challenging in, regarding the larger culture and colleges? Challenge? Yeah, a, a major challenge is that addiction is a very stigmatized disease. There's a lot of negative public perception around who is affected by addiction, around, um, you know, what, what the cause of addiction is and how much control you have over it. Um, and so because of that, you know, people, well, there's actually research that shows that, you know, people actually don't get good health care even from addiction specialists if that, if that that specialist, if that clinician carries stigma or uses stigmatizing language, um, people actually receive worse care. Um, mm-hmm. But then it also it also prevents 
people from seeking help. That is a commonly cited reason for people not seeking specialized treatment. And then it also means that a lot of people who have found recovery don't, uh, you know, they don't, they, they, they keep that hidden. They don't talk about it. And so, you know, I, um, I think back to myself when I was, um, you know, 20 years old, know, knew that I had a, um, a serious addiction to alcohol, but didn't do anything about it for another five years. Um, you know, if I'd known just one person who was my age, who was in recovery, that would made, that would have made a huge difference. And I understand, you know, everybody gets to own their own story, um, right. but I feel like, you know, we, we really need to normalize recovery. Recovery is something that a lot of people find. Addiction is something that happens to a lot of people, and we need to amplify the voices of the people who find recovery. And that is exactly what collegiate recovery programs can do on college campuses. And other organizations exist to do that out in the community, although, of course, the college campus often ends up being a really, really important and powerful voice in whatever community it's in. Um, and so that's, you know, really something that I see as as kind of a second part of our mission, right? You know, our main mission is supporting students and having that supportive community that they can plug into, but a secondary part is making recovery normal on our campus normalizing it so that people can find help earlier and so people know that there's a life after addiction. Right. Um, yeah. How do you do that? So um, <laughs> so one way to do that is amplify <laughs> That's a good question, right? <laughs> exactly. It's a really good question. You know, yeah. that's the thing because, yeah. um, you know, there, the, those stigmas translate into other arenas that can really affect people's lives. You know, it depends on what a student might be majoring in, but it could potentially affect their future career prospects. And so we are absolutely respectful of that. Everybody has, you know, choice around their privacy and around their, um, you know, commitment to their anonymity. Absolutely. However, you know, I'm open about my recovery. The other full-time staff person here, our program coordinator, is open about his recovery. And for students that feel comfortable being open about their recovery and have, you know, given it thought and made sure that, you know, they're not entering into a career where that could potentially jeopardize it in any way, we provide them opportunities to amplify that voice. They can go speak in classrooms. Um, we take them out to speak at different um, events around the community, whether it's on-campus or off-campus community. Um, they can amplify their voice in our newsletter, on our social media. Um, we've also even, you know, put put students uh, in touch with NPR reporters and, and had some student voices in an NPR piece. Um, and so, you know, that that is one step towards normalizing recovery, um, towards amplifying that recovery voice. And, of course, it's just one step, right? There's a long mm -hmm. way to go in this country. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I feel, as a person in recovery who's out and open about it, you know, I feel um, generally pretty accepted when I, you know, when I put that out there. And I really, really hope we one day get to a place where that's the experience that every single one of our students gets to have, too that when they put that information out there, it's accepted and applauded and admired. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That, that does uh, matter. I know that uh, one of the things is, as you say, kind of getting out of the shadows, it, it can be a little um, touchy. Like you say, sometimes you don't, uh, you don't want to jeopardize maybe a career choice, but, but it's important for people in recovery to stop hiding as, as yeah. it is safe. Yeah, yeah, as as it unfolds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and maybe maybe one day, you know, maybe one day we will see a, a world where you know it it doesn't jeopardize anyone's career to come out about it. Um, you know, uh, maybe we'll see processes in place that prevent that from happening. But you know, acknowledging the fact that that's just not where we are is is also important. Um, yeah, and you know, I. It's really empowering for the students who 
do volunteer to go speak in classrooms and go speak to student orgs and to go speak at high schools. Um, I have never had a student say, boy, I wish I hadn't done that. They have always come away feeling more empowered by it, feeling like they've really done something that mattered, like they've really made a difference, and feeling more secure in their own recovery, too. I actually just um, recently uh, had to do back-to-back speaking engagements um, with a, with a student volunteer, and it was actually his first time ever um, sharing his story outside of a recovery meeting. And, um, you know, this student was just, you know, really um, blown away by the experience. He really enjoyed himself. He really, you know, opened up and, and, and felt empowered by it, and... On top of that, this student got to see more of campus than he ever saw before recovery. And that's really important. Um, You know, our students get to experience more of campus than they do um, in active addiction. I think that's a really common misconception. I know I held that misconception. Many of our students talk about that when they first come in. You know, the worry is that, if I get sober, the fun's going to stop, and I'm going to be limited in some way. Right. And in fact, you know the, the 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 bounds that we that are formed around us when we're in active addiction, you know, they they just kind of fall away, and your your limits become you know much more endless, and you get to see and do and experience many more parts of the college experience um, than you do when you're locked up in active addiction. Wow, that's interesting. I would have never thought about it in in the terms of you get to see more of the campus whenever that you're out and about more. Yeah, yeah. Engage more with other parts of campus, and you know, and that's that's our that's another part of our job, right? Um, You know, our job is is to help ensure that students in recovery can have a genuine college experience, free from alcohol and other drugs, and that is absolutely part of it. So when we put on a sober tailgate, we're not putting on a tailgate that is, you know, sequestered and, you know, supposed to be totally different and way less fun. You know, it is supposed to be, you know, the only difference is that there's no alcohol, but we do have live music and awesome food. We brought in a petting zoo this year. Um, you know, we have students from all over the place and uh, yard games, and it's a really, really fun time. The only difference is there's no drinking. Um, and, you know, we we are really, you know, kind of offering an alternative to um, college experiences that all have to do with booze. It is, you know, uh, absolutely not the critical ingredient for fun. Um, and that's what our students relearn um, at the center. Right. How do students um, at, that come to the center interface with uh, peers that are not in recovery? How does that go? Do they do people that come to the center feel like, oh gosh, I must just hang, I should just hang out with people at the center or and I know this is probably varies, you know, depending on the individual, but how do they plug in to what to other things that are going on on campus or not? Yeah, that is um so that is a great question and that's of course a concern because the last thing we want is for students to feel sequestered away. We want them to feel safe. We want them to feel like they have a home base where they are absolutely in the norm, but we also don't want them to feel like they're hidden away. Um and so we do a couple of different things. One is we really encourage active involvement in the recovery community off campus. We're really, really fortunate in Austin to have a large, very young, and very vibrant recovery community here in Austin. Um, and so we encourage our students to be plugged into that right from the get-go. Um, as far as on campus, you know, our students... They end up, you know, leading, being the leaders of their study groups and, uh, you know, joining or even starting their own student organizations that have nothing to do with recovery sometimes. Um, we actually have a student org in our center 
But, you know, one of our students founded a, a fashion student organization that really, really took off during her time here. Um, and, you know, they're, they get into all kinds of amazing and wonderful things that don't have anything to do with recovery because once they're in recovery and once that recovery is stable and well-supported, they are then freed up to take those energies that used to be kind of, you know, hijacked by their addiction and pour those energies into things that they love, things that they love that they may not have even known that they loved when they were in active addiction. I know that was definitely the case for me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You you really get to discover yourself in recovery, as I'm sure many of your guests have talked about. For Um, sure. And, you know, you know, one thing I do want to point out, and this is something that, you know, I've, I've, I've brought up elsewhere and I think is, I think is really important to keep in mind. You know, we, we talk about college, um, as, you know, drinking and parties and that's, you know, this animal house vibe is kind of the thought that goes through or the image that flashes through many people's heads when they think about college, right? Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, on the other hand, uh, the story of college is also one of self-discovery and one of the doors of opportunity opening to you. And so if we focus on, you know, that, that kind of original story of college, right, about, about right. opportunity and about finding yourself and self-discovery, um, that is 100% compatible with recovery because that's, Almost the same thing that we're doing in recovery, too, right? Right. Um, and so I really, you know, try to highlight the fact that, you know, this is, this is what's col- what college is actually all about. And you get to do that in recovery much more effectively. I love that. That's powerful. That, that's really uh, affirmative of, of the whole person. That's beautiful. I love it. It's time for our break. So, um, okay. Listeners, stay with us, and we're going to take a short break here. We're not going to be gone too long. Um, Our topic today is students in recovery, vital members of the college community. And my guest is Sierra Castedo, and she is a person in long-term recovery and also the director of the Center for Students in Recovery at University of Texas, Austin. You can uh, go to their website. They've got a great website that's full of very interesting information. It's just recovery.u, the letter U, texas.edu. So it's recovery.utexas.edu, and you'll find lots of great stuff there. So um, stay with us, and we'll be right back on Spirit of Recovery. you like to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world? That's easier than ever with mobile giving. Just text Unity Radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet? And be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. What got you started on your spiritual path? Minister and radio host Paul John Roach says his path began when he heard George Harrison of the Beatles talking about Hindu philosophy and meditation. Paul John writes about it in the current edition of Unity Magazine. And don't miss the interview with Eben Alexander, the neurologist whose near-death experience led him to write Proof of Heaven. It's all in the September-October edition of Unity Magazine. Go to unity.org and click on Publications. 
ever noticed that there might be something not quite right, but you just can't put your finger on it? We may describe it as an inner stirring, a restlessness, a yearning to find our way home to our heart and higher purpose. Some of us may feel like we are living on borrowed time, that despite our accomplishments, what was once so important to us now just feels empty and meaningless. If you find your heart longing, wanting, looking for a path home to authenticity and purpose, join us for transformation, inspiration, hope, and possibility. Move toward your higher calling. Listen to The Call of Spirit with Evelyn Foreman and tune in to Possibility every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Central Time here on Unity Online Radio. listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus and her guest. If you have a question or comment or experience with today's topic that you'd like to share, call us now at 888-55-UNITY. That's 888-558-6489. Call now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unityonlineradio.org. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery, and if you're just joining us, my name is Anna Schaus. I'm your host. Our topic today is students in recovery, vital members of the college community, and I'm talking with my guest, Sierra Castedo, who is the director of the Center for Students of Recovery at University of Texas, Austin, and um, she's sharing with us how CSR, how the center provides a safe place and a supportive community for students that are in recovery or seeking recovery from addiction, and um, it and how it really supports students in knowing that uh, they are vital, important, wonderful members of the college community, the university community, and the and and life as a whole. It's a great place. It really launches people and uh, supports them into the very uh, distinct uh, probability of long-term recovery. You can read more about the center if you go to recovery.utexas.edu, and that's a U. Letter U. So before I get back to my conversation with Sierra Castedo, I invite you to join me for a brief meditation for the Serenity Minute. And uh, it's just an opportunity to share a positive idea and to spend just a few moments in the quiet, making that conscious contact with your higher power as you understand it. So I invite you to relax, to feel that peaceful presence of your higher power Um As you let go and relax, feeling relaxation from the crown of your head all the way through your body temple. Notice your breath as it comes in and goes out. And share with me this constructive idea. Life is good, and I am a vital and needed part of life. Life is good, and I am a vital and needed part of life. Now let's take just a moment in the quiet. Thank you, friends, for joining me in the Serenity Minute, and I hope that it was an opportunity for you to just relax for a moment and make that conscious contact with the goodness that is who you are. So, we're back now to my conversation with my guest, Sierra Castedo, and uh, again, she's a person in long-term recovery, the director for the Center for Students in Recovery, and um, she is going to be sharing with us more about really exactly what happens at the center. So, um, Sierra, what does happen? I, I got to ask you a little tongue-in-cheek question here. Did did the university stick you all in some moldy basement so you can hide, or where are you located on the campus? <laughs> I know, I know that's not true. 
So we are in pretty much the the spiritual opposite of a uh, moldy basement. We are in the football stadium. Oh my goodness! The, yeah, that's it's the heart of campus. It, um, yeah, really. Yeah. and it's very yeah. big. <laughs> this especially is in especially in a state like Texas, where we love our football. Um, so yeah, we are we are in a suite of rooms in the football stadium. Um, we've got, uh, if you can paint a mind picture, we've got a big um, meeting room up in the front. Um, there's a foyer where we have a student assistant on during all of our open hours. And students can come in and hang out in that foyer and gather some information. Then we have our offices down a hallway, and actually we do have a tucked away room in the back, but it's tucked away for the reason that college students need tucked away spaces, and that's because it's a study room mm-hmm. uh, where we've got a little library of books as well. Um, among the offices, we've got a little nook where you can um, uh, go in and meditate. Um, it's our little meditation room. It's very cozy. Um, and, yeah, most of the action actually happens in our main meeting room. Um, and that looks like um, throughout the week we have different support group meetings that meet on a weekly basis. We Are these like 12-step meetings or, or what? Uh, or what kind yeah, of support so groups? We have, we have some 12-step meetings. We have some, you know, uh, kind of general recovery meetings. <laughs> and we're actually, I would, I do want to put it out there, we're always open to any kind of meeting that a student wants to host in our space. Um, the only thing we need, the only ingredients we need are students who want to go <laughs> and mm-hmm, yeah. uh, somebody to, to commit to anchoring the meeting. Um, that's it. You know, we've already got coffee there, and uh, that, that's the other main ingredient that you need is coffee. That's right. Um, you got to have coffee. <laughs> and, uh, and, yeah, so, so we're always open to that shifting. But, but yeah, right now it's mostly 12-step meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, and that even includes, this is super cool, it even includes a 12-step uh, yoga meeting. So it's 35 <laughs> minutes of a yoga session with a certified mm-hmm. yoga instructor and then 45 minutes of a 12-step all-addictions meeting. And the same person is leading the meeting the whole time. So it's all yoga teachers in recovery, which is right. pretty cool. Mm-hmm. That Venn diagram in uh, that Venn diagram of yoga teachers and people in recovery in Austin overlaps a lot more than it would in other cities. I think huh, pretty good. cool. <laughs> yeah, it is cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so we have a you know th- those meetings go on, and then uh, we also do events a little bit less frequently, um, but you know, so not on a weekly basis, but more like on a monthly basis. We do workshops. We bring in experts from across campus to to give seminars, um, educational seminars. We also host um, these different committees from all over campus, um, the newest one being the Committee on Substance Safety and Overdose Prevention, which brings together students, faculty, staff, and community members um, right. to help address issues related to, to overdose. Um, and actually, we're hosting a drug, te- drug um, sorry, prescription drug take-back day on campus on November 29th with that group. Um, right. So uh, uh, open for anybody to come and get rid of un- unused prescription medication. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we also, I mean, we host yoga for the staff, <laughs> uh, staff that work on this floor. Um, you know, we, we do all kinds of stuff in that space. We've even hosted a national conference, the National Conference for Recovery High Schools, mm-hmm. uh, and used our space as a breakout room. So, so lots of cool stuff going on, um, you know, lots of different stuff. It's a really bright, beautiful, modern-looking space with really comfortable furniture. And, you know, I'll say that we are donor-supported, and so we are not, you know, taking anything away from the university by, by having this beautiful space. Um, you know, we are really supported by a, a wonderful community and, um, you know, adding, adding a lot of value to the university by the amazing students that they get to have back. So. Absolutely. Well, yeah, what a resource for them. I mean, on so many levels, you're right, it's supporting uh, what's really happening at the university. Uh, that's and, great. Yeah, Go ahead. So in addition to all the stuff that's happening in our space, 
We do a lot of stuff outside of our space, too. I mentioned that sober tailgate. Um, we do other events like that. Um, often we collaborate with other organizations to do events together. Um, Recovery in the Park is a great example of that. It's a big, like, festival-style um, uh, gathering of, of people from a bunch of different organizations in Austin. Um, and we listen to music, have free food, play games. It's, it's a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we do a lot of service opportunities, too, speaking in classrooms, speaking at high schools, et cetera. Um, and, uh, you know, that that's – so there's a lot of that stuff. Um, we also, you know, are connecting students to people that, to act as mentors, to volunteer opportunities, like at the Recovery High School. Uh, and so we really want our students to be super connected, both on campus and off. That's great. Tell me what happens like when a student uh, comes into the programming there at the center. Do you, and may, I'm sure you've got some stories about uh, students and what's happened to them, of course, preserving their anonymity here. But um, what happens? What, what, how do they enter? What do they do? What happens in their lives? The students enter a variety of different ways. Um, they can either, you know, come to the center seeking help. They're not in recovery yet. Um, and sometimes, you know what, they don't stick around. And mm-hmm. I can, and, and, you know, I, I experienced that many people in recovery are, are really familiar with that, that mm-hmm. sitting on the fence, you know, that sure. ambivalence. Um, and, you know, you may, may take one step towards recovery and then take another three steps back, right? Um, but all along the way, seeds are planted. Hope is planted. Um, you know, that, that stuff doesn't go away, and, and it's really important that those little seeds are there. So, so let me give you the example of a student that we had. Um, this student came to CSR their first time, their freshman year, first semester, um, you know, saying that, you know, substances were were definitely an impediment for them, and and they were really struggling. Um, that student did not stick around that time. They came back at some point during their second year. Again, did not stick around. That third year, they came back, and by the fourth, their fourth year, their senior year, final semester, about three weeks before school ended, um, this student came back, made a commitment to recovery, stuck around. And that student is, well, who's now an alum is still in recovery. I think we're at three, four years later. Um, and that, that is, that is not a, um, there's, there's, that is a success story, right? Even though they didn't come and stay that very first day, that very first visit, that mm-hmm. kept coming back. And right. they kept coming back. And they kept coming back until recovery stuck. And I really want to emphasize that this is a chronic disease. This is a chronic disease that doesn't, that doesn't get cured in one sitting, right? This is something that, you know, needs constant reapplication. It's a process that you gradually work towards. And it's not necessarily something that happens overnight. Although, you know, of course, there's people with, with experiences where, where they definitely feel like, like recovery kind of came to them all in one, one, you know, burning bush experience. And that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Many people, it doesn't work that way. Many people need multiple attempts at recovery before it sticks. And so this student was a perfect illustration of that and a perfect illustration of why, um, you know, the, the kind of model that we have. We, we don't turn anyone away for any reason, you know, unless, of course, they're, they're endangering other people, right? Right. But uh, uh, so they don't have to, you know, have a certain amount of sobriety before they can come to us. And mm-hmm. they also have no penalty for slipping. Mm-hmm. We want them to come back. We want them to stay engaged. We don't want them. The last thing we want is for somebody to return to use, experience a relapse, and then not tell anybody about it because they're afraid of the consequences. Right. We don't want to see that happen. And so we make it very clear that students are always welcome, and we are going to help them get to where they want to go. Right. Um, so, that's, you know, that's one side of the spectrum. You know, another great example is um, there's there's a student who's been with us um, since since undergrad. Now the student is um, in grad school in a 
pretty insanely taxing graduate program. Um, so we don't get to see the student too much anymore, but um, comes around every once in a while. Um, but very, very involved all through undergrad. And this student had started undergrad, undergrad in the 90s, I believe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, after, you know, a year, um, maybe less than a year, you know, ended up leaving the university due to drug and alcohol related issues, um, lived out, lived away from Austin for a long time. Um, and eventually, you know, years later found recovery, got established in recovery, and then decided to think about exploring going back to school. And, you know, turns out uh, that was actually an option for this person, and, and they actually could come back to UT Austin, the place they'd left so long ago. Um, and so they came back, and, um, you know, they, they heard about the Center for Students in Recovery. They got plugged in as a student in very well-established recovery and just, you know, immediately became this amazing mentor and absolute pillar of our community. Mm-hmm. Uh, the student was actually around when I came in as a student. Um, you know, the student started a, a meeting at the center, you know, was really involved in the student org, just involved in everything, and was an amazing, amazing mentor to have around. Um, graduated, immediately turned around, and is in grad school now. Um, and, you know, that is that is a person who is also, you know, a total extreme end of the other other side of the spectrum, but they're absolutely, you know, what makes us work just as much as that newcomer is what makes us work. And it's the combination of those two things of the, you know, that whole, that whole spectrum that really makes collegiate recovery programs a special and important place on a college campus. You've got to have that, that variety of experiences. Right. And so it sounds like, too, that this person um, isn't, quote, traditionally a traditionally aged college student. It sounds like they must right. be older, in their 30s or 40s yep. even. Absolutely. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yep. So you have yeah, a variety of ages, you can't, or you can have, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. So a, a survey back in 2012, um, and so remember, there, there was still, you know, in the 20s of, of collegiate recovery programs back in 2012. Now there's a lot more, and so this information may have changed. But back, back in 2012, um, the average age of collegiate recovery program students was 26. Mm-hmm. So they're, they tend to be a little older. I, I think that face is we're gonna we're gonna find once once that survey is repeated. I, I'm pretty confident we're gonna see that average age drop. Um, mm-hmm. of course, I don't have any evidence for that yet. So, <laughs> but but I think right. that's probably true. Right. Um, but but there's also research out there showing that, um, and this is from from John Kelly, um, who's a researcher out of Harvard Med School, um, who's who's done a lot of different studies on twelve um, step programs. How do they work? Do they work? Turns out they do work pretty well. Um, but twelve uh, step programs and also a, a few other recovery pathways too. And one mm-hmm. thing that um, he found when when examining the relationship between you know age composition and um, whether or not somebody clicks with a twelve step group, you know they, they found that yes, it is important for a young person to be around other young people in a meeting during those first few months, during that buy-in phase, right? Mm-hmm. They, right. they have to, you know, want, want to be there, want to, you know, get it, and, and, and they, they're a lot more likely to do that when there's other young people. However, for them to make it out to, you know, six months, nine months, a year, um, it's really important that they be exposed to people with greater length of sober experience, which mm-hmm. typically means that they're also older. So people mm-hmm. who just have been through more of life sober, um, they they are the ones that will be mentors to young people and help them overcome uh, more obstacles and, and help them, you know, maintain their recovery through that stuff. Right. You know, um, uh, I don't know, so several months ago uh, then I had uh, Julie McAlrath who from the university high school there near the campus and as my guest here on Spirit of Recovery and also one of the young people who had just graduated. And I asked him that question. I said, so uh, you you probably don't like going to these meetings with all these old people, right? And he laughed. He said, no, those are my favorite meetings. Those are the ones I like to go to for just the reasons yeah. that you were saying. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's yeah. really funny. Yeah, it's true. And I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that. You know, I really am. And it makes a lot of sense. Like, like yeah. as you say, at, at first they, people need to identify, but then, and that's good. And you need people that have kind of walked down the road a little way so you can learn from them. So, yeah, that's really, really good. So, Tell me how it affects people that do stick with the um, program. I know one of the issues it is that people, as you said earlier, the stigma, you know, about um, the disease of addiction or substance use disorders, um, whichever one wants to term it, and uh, how people sometimes feel like, you know, oh, gosh, you know, I'm a pariah. I have to sort of hide out from life here. But. The center really helps people know. Oh no, no, no! You're you're you matter. You're valuable. You're an important part of the community. So, how does that work? Well, I think the biggest thing is really just the message that it sends to have a collegiate recovery program at all. Collegiate recovery programs, by definition, are embedded in and part of university campuses. They're, they're programs of the university, right? Just mm-hmm. like a student veteran center or a, or a counseling center on campus is. And think about what kind of message that sends, that the University of Texas at Austin, which is, you know, uh, number one ranked in this and number four yes, ranked in that, and, you know, um, mm-hmm. think about that. They mm-hmm. value students in recovery from addiction enough to have had a program just for them since 2004. Mm -hmm. That says a lot. Yes, it does. Its biggest boosters include the chancellor of the university system. One of the board of regents is, you know, a dear, dear friend and personal donor to our, to our organization. You know, Mm. those things send a really clear message to students, I know it, it did for me loud and clear that you matter, you belong here, you are not a pariah, this is your home, you're, you're just another college student who happens to have some additional challenges, and we mm-hmm. care enough about you that we want to address those challenges with you. That's Wow, cool. it is, that is phenomenal. Uh, Thank you, Sarah, for everything you've shared uh, today. We're at the end of our time. And thank you so much for the work that you're doing with the center and everybody there. I know that uh, works there, that's part of the staff, part of the volunteers, and, and certainly all the people that are going there. And uh, gratitude to the university uh, for doing this. It's, it's a big deal. Thank yep. you so much for having me on today, Reverend. This was really, really enjoyable um, to share with all of you. Good. Thank you. You are so welcome. And listeners, I know you really got a lot out of this today and were inspired. And uh, I know that you'll find your ways to be part of this kind of a uh, a movement in, in your own way. So um, have a wonderful week. And um, we'll be back next week on Spirit of Recovery. And uh, have a blessed Thanksgiving. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time for down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org. Experience the peace and joy promised by A Course in Miracles? Or are you still struggling to truly live your beliefs from moment to moment? Let Rev. Jennifer Hadley help you focus on your intent to be the love, be the peace, through practical application, by walking your talk. Experience the healing live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central on A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. It's been said that the way to build a peaceful world is one person at a time. Think about it. 
Haven't we all been in situations where one person's attitude, his or her state of mind and way of being, had a profound effect on everyone in the group? We may have seen times when the effect was negative, caused by gossip or backbiting. But we've all seen times where one person changed an environment in a positive way. By maintaining a friendly attitude of goodwill toward everyone, he or she gradually influenced more and more members of the group to do the same. Before long, the positive attitude became the norm. Peace began with one person. I look for opportunities to be that person. Peace can begin with me. To find a Unity Church near you, please visit our website at www.unity.org. Experience the peace and joy promised by A Course in Miracles? Or are you still struggling to truly live your beliefs from moment to moment? Let Reverend Jennifer Hadley help you focus on your intent to be the love, be the peace, through practical application, by walking your talk. Experience the healing live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central on A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What is it you really want in life? No matter what you've been through, you can still achieve it. I'm Sandra Ann Taylor, and in my Energy Activation podcast, we'll explore the science of manifestation, and I'll give you specific techniques to shift your energy in order to make your dreams a reality. I also do live energy readings, and you can be a part of the show by emailing your questions to me at sandrataylor.net. Join me on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts. 